Hello and welcome once again to episode 78 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. And Fernando. Hello, hello. So since we have Fernando back with us this week, I had a question for him. I heard on the grapevine that you've come around to Swift UI. <laughs> well, yes and no. Thank you for that question, Dimitri. So um, I discussed a little bit um, on, on Twitter. A friend of mine was um, mentioning how it's, it's, uh, it's kind of difficult to keep up with everything Swift related, right? Even though we get like the yearly releases and you also get like WWDC, which isn't strictly speaking Swift. Um, Swift has been evolving like constantly. And if you follow the, uh, the um, what's, what's the magic name for the pull requests? Is there a magic name for the Swift pull requests? Proposals? Yeah, the Swift proposals, evolution. thank you. Uh, if you follow the proposals, there's actually a ton of proposals, uh, even, even if only a few of them get merged. So the interesting part of this is that um, I've at least been thinking about a lot about the language itself and what I like and don't like about Swift. And I came to the realization that even though uh, if anyone's familiar with my stance, uh, if, if anyone's have heard me speak about Swift UI, you know that I'm like, at best, uh, I'm dubious about it. And at worst, I'm like, it's got no future. But uh, I will say that I agree 100% with the vision of it, right? Uh, Apple is expanding constantly, and their platforms have been growing and growing. And so the holy grail would be building an app on Swift UI, on purely Swift UI, no need for Swift UI or, or any UI hosting view controller, and deploying that app to multiple operating systems, right? And the vision of it seems to be, I would say, debatably within grasp, right? Um, I know both of you have used SwiftUI much more than I have, but it seems that given a few more years, maybe between three to eight years, it would be possible to actually get um, a code base into different platforms using SwiftUI. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Okay, perfect. So having said that, I may disagree with the implementation of it. That's beyond my rant. Um, the thing is that going back to purely Swift, um, I don't see that vision there on purely Swift, the language itself. I see that Swift has been expanding its capabilities and a lot of the things that has been uh, that have been brought to the table have been valuable as a language. I don't see how they're valuable as an app developer. Um, and I just wanted to get your opinion on that. I have a few other things getting to core data. But first, like, what do you guys think? Um, is Swift like the de facto language for apps? Like, let me rephrase that before, before you, you go. Um, if there were multiple languages out there that were equally valid uh, when it comes to building apps, would Swift be your number one choice? Yeah, I would say so. Like, a lot of people like to say that, oh, Swift is not a language for app development, and it's too esoteric, it's too academic. Um, 
Like, everything just gets in the way. I am becoming less and less of that mind the more and more that I get comfortable with its more advanced features. Um, I really do think that just because it's different does not make it bad for app development in any in like specific scenarios it's a lot better for uh, many types of things um it's just not as straightforward as the thing that everyone is potentially used to for decades right um not saying that it's easier and uh, all programming languages are hard just look at the amount of people that were able to program in objective c hardly anyone got uh motivated enough to be able to do that despite it being one of the most popular platforms around the world, right? That's the whole reason we have a different language. Um, so Objective-C is not easier than Swift uh, in that regard. So I would go ahead and say that, yes, Swift has some advanced features, but it's not so advanced that it prevents people from making the most of it. I, I agree, and uh, but I'll, I'll I'll add one thing. I, I really like that you touched Objective C because again, if you've ever heard me speak about SwiftUI or Objective C, you already know how I feel. Um, the objectively, no pun intended, I think Objective C had way less gotchas, way less regionalisms, uh, idiomatic code than Swift, and I think that's actually Pointers. a very if we're complicated, what? <laughs> well, I like there's a whole gotcha there that we can't just ignore. Uh-huh. Like I used Objective C, knowing nothing about C for the longest time, uh-huh. which meant that I was just locked out out of a bunch of features. Like, oh, I need an array of CGREX. I don't know how to do that. Oh well, um, moving on. Does it mean that that makes Objective C better though? If that makes any no, sense? No, 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 no. I'm not even. I'm not even saying better. All I'm saying is that. I think there is a lot of layers to Swift and I've heard that being like a positive, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is the simplest can be and if you want to go deeper, you can go deeper. But the more I use the language and the more I teach it to like beginners, 100% beginners, um, mm-hmm. the harder it is to explain or to feel out um, how many of the rules you should know and when you should know them. Whereas with Objective-C, which I also taught to beginners, it feels much more easy to pick up if you're willing. Because the thing about Objective-C, you're totally right. A lot of people didn't pick it up, even though the iPhone was like the premier platform like 10 years ago. But it was more about the disconnect and the grammatical aspect of it, right? Yeah, I, I would go ahead and say that. So coming from my perspective of like having learned Swift first and not... I mean, I learned Objective-C afterwards, and I really kind of got into learning Objective-C, you know, a couple years after I had kind of been learning Swift already. I get what you mean, that Swift, I think, is a lot deeper. You can go deeper, but at the same time, uh, it feels like the barrier to entry is way higher with Objective-C. Um there's a lot more like you have to worry about pointers. Um, you know, I mean, if you want to get into really learning about, I don't know, like, I mean, yeah, I don't touch any really any C related things in Objective C when I'm doing it even now. It's not anything that, you know, I just don't have much experience in. Whereas I think 
kind of going back to your original question, yeah, I think I would use Swift above any other language. Like, I don't know if they were like, yeah, we're we're adding Kotlin support at this point. Why would I learn something else? It doesn't or or whatever, whatever the new hotness is, right? We're like, we're adding Rust support or whatever it is. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd stick with Swift because one, that's what I'm comfortable with. But also, I think a big part is that there is the community behind it. And like you said, like it is evolving so fast and there is downsides to it where I, I we talked about the transition from Swift 2 to 3 was huge and lots of the language changed. I mean... Grand Central Dispatch was, I mean, syntactically very different between Swift 2 and 3. It used the old kind of dispatch underscore Q underscore whatever, and then it switched to dispatch Q. And, it, you know, you have to get over those changes uh, in, in between the releases of the language. But once you do, I think um, all of the changes that have happened to Swift have been for good. Like, I rebelled against um codable for a long time when in like swift 4 when it came out i didn't like it. i was like no json serialization team all the way <laughs> um but then i got used to it yeah no i know <laughs> but i was just like oh i'll serialize it myself whatever it's no big deal um and then you know eventually i rebelled and relented and uh, started learning it i was like okay this is actually a good change so I guess what I'm trying to say is with all of these changes to Swift, although it is evolving quickly, um, it eventually will probably get to a feature complete state where we're like, okay, we're all very satisfied with Swift the way that it is, maybe in Swift 20, I don't know. But it'll get there to the point where it doesn't evolve so quickly. Um, and that'll be good. That said, because of that community, I think that's what makes it kind of like an exciting language to keep up on. Like we, like you talked about with the proposals, you can go and add your own proposal or be like, yeah, that's a really cool idea. I would love to have that. Like the, you know, conversion from float to CG float. Like that's why wasn't that in the language until just now? You know what I mean? So, I mean, if there's some random idiosyncrasy with objective C, you kind of just have to live with it at this point. So, and I think what you bring up is interesting as well. It reminded me that uh, Swift uh, is like developed in the open. If you need to figure out how Codable works, you can look up how Codable yeah. works, and it is not necessarily a bunch of C code. Like some of it is C and C plus plus, but a lot of it is just in Swift. Like you can, if you want to know how to write and type erased type you just need to find an example in the standard library and there is some sample code you can just go ahead and use so much of objective c was knowing how to work with the frameworks that apple gave you right it wasn't so much objective c the language um the language had like so little surface you could do nothing with it like you didn't have a super class to work with you needed to use the NS object as a superclass to get all of the benefits that it provided. Um, and you can make the case that, oh, those parts of Objective-C were also open source, but they were open source in C. It wasn't necessarily something that you can just go ahead and learn from if you didn't necessarily know C. And I say, I say that realistically. I 
would imagine so many Objective-C developers really didn't necessarily know how C, the language, really worked. The intricacies of like doing shenanigans with pointers and knowing when it's safe to do one thing versus another thing, you really don't have any clue. Whereas in Swift, you could really stay away from most of C uh, and stay in Swift because it is a much larger language. It is capable of so much more. And as a result, the libraries that we kind of are used to from when we say Objective-C as a thing, those are also part of Swift, but they're all like public. You can go ahead and see exactly what is being compiled when you use uh, something that is from the standard library. So yes, Swift is kind of like this ever-growing thing, but so is Objective-C if you also like include all of the uh all the inextial parts that we're like putting it together, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause cause I agree. Like Objective-C, the language itself was it wasn't it wasn't useful by itself. It mm-hmm. was the pairing of Objective-C and UIKit or the foundation libraries that actually like brought it to life. Uh so I agree hundred percent with that. Um, let me give you an ex- a concrete example, though. Like in Objective C, uh, the grammar, uh, as frustrating, which I never found it frustrating, but as frustrating it can be for other people, is relatively stable, right? Once you understand like the square brackets, the labels for parameters, and uh, having uh, semicolons everywhere. Um, there are no surprises when it comes to to the grammar of the language. It's a very like very consistent grammatically. Whereas in Swift, there's just so many so many different ways of doing the same thing that sometimes it's complicated. Concrete example: closures. Um, teaching closures to someone uh, is complicated because you either have to teach like the syntactic sugar that comes around with it um and that uh and and uh, that usually depends heavily on who is teaching so for example there's a few ways of doing closures some people like them this way some people like them that way and that certainly complicates things if you start adding up all of the regionalisms or idiomatic parts of swift which have continued to be added to the language, it gets way and way more difficult to actually, like, teach someone. With Objective-C, it was, this is the syntax, memorize it, do it this way. And in general, uh, if there may be new lines or things like that, but in general, it was readable. With Swift, I I don't know that is true. Uh, Another example, like... uh, Async, await, and... Pausing you before before another... Example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one website, gosh darn block syntax. Yep. Like, I don't know how you can say that closures are more complicated than Objective-C when closures yeah. have <laughs> one consistent syntax that is the same with, like, any other subroutine in the language. And... It's not the same. It like, is very cl- similar, though. It is like, very similar. Ha- I agree. No, no, no. I agree with that. Yeah. Whereas, okay. whereas in in Objective C, when you have to deal with blocks which are not part of Objective C, they're a C feature. Agreed. Like there are seventeen different ways of, <laughs> like I exaggerate, but there are so many different ways that that <laughs> same 
paradigm is expressed that it is near impossible. Like as a seasoned Objective C developer, I finally memorized block syntax way past when I needed to. Uh huh. But so like closure is the concept. Right? Closure is the concept. I I can get that. That's an a difficult idea to know about, but that is not intrinsic to Swift. Agreed. No, so I agree. Are you talking uh-huh. more about like uh, if you have a method and you say um, I don't know, create object with, and you always put with there and then your arguments or whatever, like that kind of thing. So I think the thing with that is Objective-C is 38 years old or something like that. It's so old that these um, standards have been completely solidified to the point where when you don't write something correctly in Objective-C, it doesn't bridge the name well into Swift if you don't put with there because that is the standard and that has become the standard. Whereas Swift is so new that we're not at that point, I think, where the grammar or kind of the style around things like that has solidified whether closures need to be on their own lines or you need to you know whatever however the naming convention goes if you put um with inside of the parentheses of a method or whatever everyone's kind of doing it differently i agree with you but i think it's because as a community we haven't really solidified that if that makes sense so I, I think I think both of you are arguing something that's t- totally different than what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so be. maybe like totally my fault, perhaps. Um, closure is definitely not Swift specific, right? Or Objective C specific. Both of them behave relatively similarly. Can be explained in the same way. And uh, standards are likely to develop over time, right? Agreed. Objective C has like three decades plus of a head start, and the standards are not set in stone, but relatively well defined. And I agree that's going to be like uh, it's going to come along as we go. Agreed on both counts. What I'm trying to say is that in Objective C, like if you have a function in Objective C that uh, accepts a closure, there's one way of defining it. Like, the grammatic syntax of it is unique. I can think of two off the top okay. of my head. One, a type def, which makes it consistent with Objective-C. Or mm-hmm. two, wacky closure syntax. What or is wacky, wacky block syntax. syntax. Wacky block syntax in general. Like, spell out to me off the top of your head, how do you put a block as an argument in Objective-C? There's a carrot. Uh, Does a carrot go before the argument? Does it go after the arguments? It changes. Who knows? It's the worst. <laughs> Block syntax sucks. It doesn't change. It's static. it does change. No, it, it changes it change? if it it changes if it's in a method. It changes if it's declared oh, as a variable. No, no, no. I agree. No, no, no. definitely agreed. That's okay. why I said, and it it's not consistent accept. with the rest of the language. That's what I'm saying. Like, doesn't if matter. You have a block. That's not what I'm saying. Agreed. Okay. So let me let me be even more specific then. If there is a call <laughs> site for a function that accepts a closure in Objective-C. In general, if, if I were to use wacky closure syntax, there would be a unique way of doing that. Correct? No, there are two ways. If you t- make a type def that describes it, then you use the typical C-based type space okay. variable. Let's say, <laughs> no, 
Let's be even more specific. I like that. I like that. Let's be even more specific. There is a call sign with a function that accepts a closure, and I'm going to be to have an anonymous closure, not a typed up. Can we agree okay. that there's only so the, one way of calling that? Open caret name, that one? Yes, correct. Okay. That is not consistent with ID variable as all the other variables. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely not consistent. I'm not arguing okay. that. It is. I remember. I do not cite the magics to me. I was there when they were written. Like <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It is not consistent. I still Com- use like block syntax. Oops. I don't know if I can do that, but I still use gosh that darn. Gosh darn. Gosh darn block syntax. I still use it all the time when I'm in Objective C. Agree a hundred percent. But it is. There is only one way of doing it, right? And, and let, that is. Let me... Let me remind the Swift syntax is a variable name colon the type for normal variables for closures. The type is just open but, parentheses but arrow. That is, a, that is a different thing that we would be discussing. How would you do that in Swift where you have an anonymous closure? How many ways? Let's say I have like I have the uh, gosh darn block syntax here. There's like two parameters, for example, and a return value. How many ways can you write that in Swift? Again, a call sign, an anonymous closure, and no type def, no setting variables or constants. How many, how many different ways can you write that? There's like... As defining the function or seven. calling the function? Are you talking no, 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 about calling like the function. Calling for the, function. the closure? For the function itself. Off the so, top of my head, there's like... So you have trailing closure syntax or before you have trailing closure syntax, You have no trailing closure syntax. And mm-hmm. every parameter and every, like the return value explicitly defined. There's no trailing closure syntax, only uh, the parameters defined. No return value if it's implicit. Uh, if there is no closure syntax, one single parameter, that's a tuple, and the return value. If there is no close, uh, closure syntax, there is one parameter, which is a tuple value, and no return, as that is implied. There is shorthand syntax. There is, uh, no, uh, what, what's that? Um, shorthand is the dollar sign zero, right? Yeah. Right, there's shorthand syntax. Uh, there, with a return value, shorthand syntax without a return value. And I haven't even gotten into You don't closure. have shorthand syntax with the return. Okay, so five. Then we get into trailing closures. We have trailing closures with both parameters and a return value, and so on, right? At least another five ways. So that's exactly what I'm saying. All of them are equally valid, right? It's subjective which of them you use. Usually, it's more well-known for you to use, like, trailing closure syntax. But even within trailing closure syntax, it really depends on what you want to do with the closure, whether you go for shorthand, whether you forego the return value, whether I would not recommend the, tup- the tuple, but like there's at least three, maybe four different ways that are valid that are dependent on context on how to write a closure. I'm not sure there's a lot of difficulty there because what Swift is optimizing for here is making something more readable at the call site, if that makes any sense. So if yep. it's more readable to not spell out a whole bunch of variables and say $0 less than $1 for like a sorting closure, then that makes it more readable. It's more, it's instantly easier to reason about when you look at that code 
compared to whatever the uh, whatever the uh, alternative would have been in Objective C. If you are familiar with shorthand syntax, I agree with you. I yes, but as, I as a to... Swift developer, you would have come across shorthand syntax. Like, I'm not saying you can enumerate all the different permutations, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, what you're really learning is you can have a full-on closure syntax, you can have shorthand syntax, or you can have trailing closures. And those are the three main variables. You can, yes, permute them any way you want, but those are the three styles that you would have learned. And then you are free to combine them in interesting ways that would best suit the reader of your code. I agree 100%. It's still more complex, right? I don't think it's more complex. I think there it's is much more to simpler. learn. Like, is given, there? Given, yeah, of course. Given, given, like, is it the, more than just like an example? Yes, of course. Like, how could it not uh, again, be if we assuming use more... you assuming you know what a closure is? Right. Okay. So if you know the idea of a closure, the idea of a subroutine uh -huh. that something is going to uh, need to call this at a later date, if you understand that concept, right. Are these extra syntax modes more complex or do they simplify a lot of things by giving you shortcuts when they may make the most sense? That's like saying, I mean, I, I, I see where you're going, but you have to know about the modes before they become useful to you, right? Yeah, but you have to know what a let and a var is as well before like you can use Swift. No, that's what I I'm saying. Think, it's like so fundamental to the language. Comparison because like in the Objective C example, I can show someone how to write a blog, and that's the way they'll find it most of the time. Or at least let's let's be specific again. That's the way they will find it whenever they use anonymous closure and not a typed up. Like always, that's the syntax. Always, I can show them. 20 different examples of different parameters, different return values, different use cases, different contexts, and the reading is the same. Yes, yeah, but uh, all those examples Swift, are more complex, right? Because they're harder to read. Well, if the uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it's a given for everyone that they're easier to read if the syntax is different all the time. Well, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could just, you know, uh, select the closure hit enter and it would always complete out to the same syntax and they could get that consistently. Agreed. But so, then we lose Dimitri's point, which is that, like, for example, if I'm comparing to... Well, what I'm saying is if you only want to stick with one type of closure, technically you could. Yeah. Again, I agree. But, but, it's, <laughs> not, but it's not whether you can or not. Like, would, would either of you have, like, the full tab press enter closure when you're comparing strings like no but zero and doesn't mean one. that you can't i mean if that's what you no, want to no no but that's the point in objective c you can't you literally cannot it's if we're... okay if, if there are multiple solutions that end up doing the same thing it's syntactic sugar at that point it doesn't matter agreed agreed and that's i guess that that rounds up my my point in the sense that this is one data point swift has been known for adding more and more syntactic sugar. Sure. There's a lot of syntactic sugar peppered throughout all the language. And we see it as a positive, like type inference, like closures uh, and their trailing closure syntax. There's a few others. But the point is that all of these tiny additions to the language require more of an investment when learning. And I've seen it with people who want to learn Swift, uh, uh, especially coming from other languages. Yeah. Right? So I think an example for me is like, 
Um, you're <laughs> sorry. I, I think, I think they're called property attributes in Objective C when you do app property and, and you have the parentheses, right? Mm -hmm. right? You, you don't mm -hmm. have to add those, but you can. You right. Good luck make finding things... a reference of all of them. Ah, you can <laughs> you could add nullability, or you could not, or you could say it's weak or strong. Right? What's the default? Where do you learn that? It's kind of the. It feels like the same thing for me. Where you no, because the syntax is the same, right? Once you figure it out, the syntax is is exactly the same. I can show you ten examples, and they would all be the same. Whereas, but it's not the same constant, because you don't virus. you don't have to put the annotations at all. That's one that's one permutation. Another is mm -hmm. you could do that's read the wrong only. one. By the way, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying you could right. You no, could but say, that's the ultimate irony. Is the simplest thing is the, always the wrong one. Like, yeah, you would never want to use at the, property with the no crappy qualifiers part, on it. And the crappy part is the default of atomic is probably not the right thing either. But that's the yeah, default. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. So, and then you've got any number of permutations like four different uh different property attributes that you can add and permutations thereof but those are but those are more like function parameters right that's no they're not they're they from a grammatical because, standpoint some of them sort of no similar. some of them are mutually exclusive some of them are not like you can combine some but not others you can't say it's nullable and non-null i agree right I agree, I agree. getter has an equals in it for <laughs> some odd reason um yep, yep then you need to understand how synthesize works on the other end yeah, and how that links oh, that, okay, up with instance variables thing. and underlying memory storage yeah and you've got synthesis like, of there's getters so much and complexity setters. you could have it that, synthesize like, a getter and setter for you you could use at synthesize you could you know write them yourself at dynamic that's that's a place where you, it does the same thing you've got multiple different like ways uh, there be dragons if you don't really know what the hell is going on there I agree. <laughs> but this is a what if, right? Isn't it? No. Yeah, so what about I would I would agree yeah, no, with No, this is totally what aboutism. I totally did that. <laughs> so, so, Fernando, like, I, I would totally agree with easy to learn. I, I would totally agree with what you're trying to say if Swift did not have like a very concise guide that would tell you all about the language in one go. Like, you have all the syntax in one book, and it's not even a very long book. Funnily enough, I agree. No, I agree. I, I think that's that's a huge plus with Swift. Like, with Objective-C, there's no such thing. Well, There well, used to be actually, the Objective-C programming language, but who knows what that is well, nowadays. Well, I was going to say, like, that's not, like, a coding standard. That's an explanation, as thorough and um, useful as it may be, that's an explanation about each feature of the language but it doesn't tell you like the best practices x or y or z right apple doesn't have that does it for swift there is like no when apple to use guide when to use a trailing closure versus Correct. an inline yep. closure yep i would say yes i don't think there no. is anything like that but i don't think there's one answer either like what we were talking about earlier where, where it would ultimately converge to like one thing i don't think that's the right answer there i think that there's benefit to having multiple ways of expressing yourselves it's like in english where we have many words that mean the same thing and this is in all languages all languages we have yep. this, this kind of phenomenon um and that's useful because as you're describing like i'm not going to come up with an example off the top of my head but if you're describing no, no. something you can use 
different words to describe the same thing without sounding like you're repeating yourself three times in a mm-hmm. sentence, right? Um, so there is benefit to making things easier to understand by using different ways of describing the same thing. So I can see the analogy there with programming languages as well, where if you have multiple ways of expressing similar ideas, you can choose the one that is most optimal for that particular idea. Yes, you may not need to know all the ways to express yourself, but if you know one way to express yourself, you can start the process and you can learn by reading other code how to express yourself differently. And if that other code is more readable because it is expressed in a different way, one, you can learn that different way of doing it, but two, you can understand what the code is trying to do more than just seeing the code for what it is. It's like the whole reason why we don't code in assembly anymore, right? Yes, there's like one way of going about something at the end of the day, and assembly had so many ways that we said, okay, no more of this. We're making one lang- new language C, and C has one way of doing subroutines, right? So, like, we simplify down. Like, I, I'm sure that that was a huge benefit of it, but the reason is that it's just uh, faster to program in high level languages than in low level languages. It, it just is, right? That's, that's the silver bullet from the 70s. That increased productivity tenfold for developers. Yes, but is it faster because you're able to write more code or is it faster because you're no longer needing to think about difficult uh, inconsistencies with like how you can go about doing something in a way that's not going to crash? Uh, probably the, the former, because the latter still affects C and C is a high-level language. Yes, but a whole class of issues like not knowing how to branch out of a simple branching statement, like that is not an issue anymore, right? Yes, C brings it with it new issues. I'm pretty sure that's still an issue, yeah. On C, at least. If we're talking about high-level languages, then yes. In Swift, no, of course not. But that's like a third, fourth, fifth generation top-level language. Yeah, so that's what I'm getting at, is Swift, yes, it is more complex. There are more ways to say the same thing. But all of those ways can lead to more correct code that I don't see that being a downside that there might be a second way of like, think of it this way. If you know how to program, okay, I'm going off of that premise, like you're not learning this as your very first language because you'll have trouble with any language once you hit any stumbling box block if this is your first language. Um, but if you do know how to program and you come across Swift's five different closure syntaxes, you're going to be able to read through most of them without really knowing how to do it yourself. I don't. I have empirically and anecdotally, for what it's worth, I have not seen that. Uh, I've taught my intro to closures class uh, more than a handful of times, and every single time uh, there are almost literally gasps when I show like the seven or eight ways of writing a closure in Swift. Yeah, I agree. And I, I have been there. I remember closures were one of the hardest things for me personally. And I think when I was teaching, they're hard. They're hard to, to grasp. 
I think this whole conversation <clears throat> boils down to the learning uh, yes. part of your journey. As soon as that learning part is over, you're fine. It yep. doesn't matter if there's one or if there's ten different ways to do something. You you can either decide for yourself or at the very least have some uh, consciousness within you to say this feels like the um, the best solution to this is the best kind of closure or whatever right uh, hmm, okay not sure how to say this well I know that the learning part is hard and a lot of people are in that probably right now but that is a very small part of your entire career, if that makes sense. So I'm not trying to discount it. I, I'm saying specifically mm -hmm. in the closure. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you get over that hump of, oh, crap, there's seven different types of closures, you're fine. And so I think as you progress in that, you're going to see, oh, okay, the language is like this. There's different ways to do this. You'll be probably a little bit more ready for it the next time it comes around. I don't know. I, yeah. Agreed. I'm just trying no, to say, you're totally right. this isn't like a showstopper, like, oh, definitely you should learn some other language. And I know that's not what you're getting at either. I I sort of am in a sense, like, mm. there's, there isn't even a question as to whether you should learn Swift if you want to code for any of Apple's platforms. Like, I am never, ever going to recommend, like, go and learn Dart, Flutter, Xamarin, whatever. That's not... It doesn't make sense, right? Uh, even though people do it, and I, I wouldn't, I don't understand. I yeah. understand why I would never approve. Don't. But don't, yeah. I have seen, and that's part of the rent. I have seen people literally go, "Oh wow, this is like very complicated," and then moving to something else, right? And I'm, I, the, I think we agree on generally on what you just said. Learning is like albeit a very difficult part of your career, it's actually fairly small when it comes to things like this, right? Like Dimitri said, I don't want to read the full syntax every time, especially when I'm comparing like one string to another or, or if I can use like key paths. Like I don't want to do that. Agreed 100%. But Apple has complete control of the language, right? They, like Chris Ladner left the core team because he couldn't, he, with all his weights and reputation, he couldn't push Apple and the core team towards the path he wanted Swift to take, right? That's why he left, that and the toxicity. So my point is, why are we not doing more to make the, the language easier to understand for everyone than easier to understand for pros? Because we're leaving behind a lot of people that go into JavaScript and go like, hey, this is very simple. And we all know it's not very simple. JavaScript is riddled with these uh, stupid caveats. But they go over there because it's like, boom, 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 I can start coding. Boom, 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 I can start coding. How, and, how much and it's is, not the case in Swift. How much of that is needing to learn all of UIKit at the same time that you are learning Swift? I think that doesn't help. Well, I would say both, both UIKit and Swift UI. I've been mentoring Swift UI people. Yeah, lately. anything. I, I, yeah, I don't. I, what I'm saying is the like, language versus the, frameworks. The, yeah. The, to, to do something silly on a website, like you really don't need to learn about the DOM and all that. Like you can just go ahead sure. and write 
in the most naive possible way some HTML and like you were you were you hit the road running there. Um yep. similarly, there's a million different frameworks with a million different um manifestos and yeah. like oh this is great because you just have to do this this and this and then once you go too far from the path it becomes near impossible to keep up with it uh but that very first introduction is very easy like it's very handholdy um and you can get in easily yep. um with with apple's platforms you really need to know a lot to get started doing anything mm-hmm. when it comes to ui kit specifically uh like you really need to know how ui kit works if you're gonna let it work for you and not start banging your head against uh storyboards and constraints and all these different things that you're learning simultaneously it's like oh great this api needs a closure i don't even know what that is does that make sense so it has nothing to do with swift at that point that like the api is obtuse enough to need some advanced knowledge of programming itself like you could go through javascript quite easily and never need to know what a closure is or you can start using a framework that only uses closures and therefore you know what a closure is without even ever being told what a closure is does that make sense just because that's the one way that you do the thing in that framework that you're learning whereas ui kit is all over the place swift ui is so new and there's so many like the help that you're going to get is going to lead you down a path that is like fraught. Um, so it like might not be help at all. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if like this is so conflated that it's kind of a moot argument pointing the finger at Swift than it is like everything as a whole. Does that make sense? I mean, that kind of just helped me think about like in, in the web world, uh, the world of the wide web, um, we have, you know, like the web developers, I, I, I don't even remember all of these frameworks. I'm just going to kind of, you know, throw some off the cuff and they might not be the right thing, but you'll, you'll kind of get what I mean. They, it's, you know, they're going from like view to, uh, whatever JS and all of these different frameworks to build uh, react JS or whatever. I don't know. They're, and they're switching between these frameworks every, like, three years, it seems like, to just some completely new architecture. And I wonder if that is <clears throat> partially, like you said, Dimitri, because they use it for the foreseeable future. And then they run into this one thing that they're like, oh, crap, this doesn't work. Let's paradigm shift and go to a different framework. And then they're kind of giving up all that institutional knowledge where maybe it's easy to get into, but it doesn't stick. Whereas... Maybe the again the barrier to entry for Swift is high, but you're also learning those frameworks. But because it's kind of within the ecosystem, you're staying within UIKit and or Swift UI, and that's what it is. And I don't think we're any we're gonna be seeing any new UI framework anytime soon. So I, I think I think this is why I began my uh, my rant with the Swift UI mention right. Um, I may disagree with the implementation. I think we're very far from where we should be, and we shouldn't. But the vision is sound. The vision is let's build something simple that can work in all of our operating systems. And I agree that the there is this unique pairing between the language and the frameworks. 
that certainly complicates things and leads to a much steeper ramp uh, that you have to climb to actually start understanding things. Um, and this brings me to the core data part, which is like just another tiny data point, but core data is just a monstrosity. And it really is to me the sticking point uh, for all of this, like all of our rant and discussion, that Apple hasn't really done anything to make core data a good Swift citizen. How many years have we spent in Swift already and core data is still core data? Yes, they've improved and yes, it's easier now to use uh, in Swift than it was before, but it's still like archaic, it's still clunky, it's still difficult to use. Did you guys read about the, um, the Google Zero, the Zero Team exploits uh, that used uh, predicates and core data? I don't know if no. it used core data, but it for sure used predicates. So I'm just like, Apple's number one priority should be let's build, let's help developers build apps easier so that you can get going fast. And it seems to me that Swift started out that way and it's been growing more and more complex. Swift UI started out that way and it's still way too far. UIKit is like, like Dimitri already said, like storyboards, constraints, nibs, view controllers, hierarchy. Like, where is the, like, where is, why, why are we not like the web? Why aren't we not closer to the web uh, in the ways that matter? I don't want to code in HTML or, or whatever, even though I am learning Ruby uh, and Rails, but I, I just want this to be way more simple. That's, that's the rant. So I don't think core data is ever going to have the future you hope for it. Oh, so let, let me let me outline why. And I don't think it's just because Apple is like dragging their feet here. The way core data uh, is structured is it's creating an object graph, right? You have yeah. relationships between individual objects, not records in a table, which is what a database tends to be. Now, this flies right in the face of what Swift tried to do from day one is to promote value types instead yep. of reference types. And that is fundamentally not what core data is. So I don't know if there is a better analogy. Like, yes, Apple could polish up core data so that way the types, uh, like there's a proper optional Swift type and things like that. Um, and there's less uh, like auto-generated interfaces in the background that like hinge on Objective-C being there for it to be something like totally they can they can revamp that part but it doesn't help with anyone who's trying to structure their data model in a way that swift shines if that makes any sense makes perfect sense so i don't i don't see apple ever really updating core data in a meaningful way without replacing it outright with something new that's incompatible with it at a fundamental level and I don't think I don't think they need to replace core data. Um, although it's funny that core data is like hard for uh, hard for beginners and hard for uh, pros. Like if you want to go to the to the bleeding edge, like I know some apps have completely foregone um, core data in favor of like dire directly manipulating SQLite because it's like at at some point it makes more sense. Um, 
the point of all of this is, and I think now I found my my ground, and this is why I wanted to to chat with both of you, is that this is too complicated. Like it, it's needlessly complicated. Uh, Swift is a little bit needlessly complicated. It's been growing in in my mind. Uh, Swift UI is trying, and I hope it succeeds. Core data is really complicated. Like, why do we need all? Uh, we should have like the matrix, the product matrix that Steve Jobs introduced a long time ago, like desktop, mobile, pro, and uh, amateur. We should have that for apps. And I think it's sort of like, tr I think the idea is there with now the introduction of playgrounds on the iPad. I really like that, but it's like we're losing so much to the web and I hate to see that. I hate when I try to introduce someone to like, um, iOS programming, and it's just so much harder than introducing them to the web. It's frustrating. I wonder how much of that is intrinsic to the problem space, if that makes any sense. Like, mm -hmm. the, the fact that we are dealing with real, like, blocks of memory, that we are shuffling data around, that we are computing resources, like... None of that is made simpler by the web. In fact, it's a lot of those aspects are a lot harder on yep. the web than it would have been on a native platform. Like you have direct access to things, you can do amazing things, it's just harder, right? And if you wanna do something really simple, like you can, just don't wish for more, right? In a, in a way. Mm -hmm. Like you can you can go ahead and build a very simple SwiftUI app that is, has some corner cases that just don't work well, but that's the same for if you want to write a web app, right? You're going to get hit a certain point where it's going to be tough and hard and you get it working in Chrome and it no longer works in Safari. And like you forgot about Firefox this whole time. Like there are major complexities that require being a, an expert in your field in both. And I don't think, I don't think that uh, iOS necessarily has a much steeper learning curve to get the basics going. I mean, it's tremendously easy to put something on the screen and play around with it um, in just a few lines of code. In fact, it's almost always been that way on Apple platforms with like the Cocoa frameworks because they facilitate making apps. That said, if you want to, if you want to start from the beginning having a totally custom thing, it's an uphill battle because it's just made more complicated by the fact that the frameworks were made to make something that's very standard across all applications, and like it's never going to be easy to make something custom using those frameworks because you have to do it yourself. You have to now step out of the comfort zone of everything is provided for you and invent something brand new as any developer eventually will do at least once in their careers. Right. So like, yes, it might seem like, Oh, it's easy to do stuff on the web. And I think a lot of that is just because there are so many more frameworks because it is a much larger platform for many more folks to kind of take part in. And we are in a very secluded platform of Apple devices, right? There's many, much fewer things for us to use, but at the same time, 
Apple as a platform vendor does an excellent job at providing us with the necessities to do something. Like there's no UI framework for the web. Like if you want to make something, you have to, someone had to make it. So therefore you use what someone made. And if you want to do it their way, then it's easy. But if you start to diverge from that path, it becomes hell. So then you switch to a different framework that has a different set of priorities. And you have 200 of these different frameworks that all have different sets of like um, pros and cons. But at the same time, you're not really a web developer. You're a React developer or you're a Vue developer or you're an Angular developer. Like you become a professional in that specific space, right? Yep. So as you're just starting out, you're not a professional in any of those. And therefore you can do simple things in all of them, right? And same for iOS. Like I remember when I was just starting to learn how to program on the Mac I would just open up Interface Builder and I was like, I can, I put a thing together just by dragging and dropping little widgets, you know, like it's, it was so much easier than even web development just because it, it was like a no brainer to just like collect, drag things on, right click and connect things. And so what happened, Dimitri? Why is it not like that today? I agree well, with you. You could still do that today if you want to make something that has the plain UI style that the system provides. If you don't want to do that, though, then it's, once again, an uphill battle. Then then is it how we're teaching? I would think so, yeah. Like, we Very are immediately going down point. the path that, like, we want to teach how to make this particular app that looks like this. There's a lot to that all of a sudden that assumption started off in hard mode right we're not even starting off on let's 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 bring you as far as we can without even touching closures right yeah so that way you have a good foundation and then like hey haven't you ever just wanted to pass around a function bam closures (laughs) like at that point it's a thing that clicks right whereas at this point like day two of learning ios development you're gonna run into closures somehow and you're well, not so going to really is all closures. But do you need to know that? Yes. Not really. Do you, do you... No. Yeah. I do mean, you need like, to know I... that an H stack takes a closure? Yes, because I'll tell you why. I'll, I've seen it with uh, this. This have not been my students. These are like someone else's mentoring Swift UI students, and they've told me that uh, this is really funny. But this comes to like what you said about closures in Objective C, like. It's a very different syntax than the the rest of the language. Well, Swift UI is a very different syntax from the yeah. rest of the language. Yeah, it's like, and so there is a, a a difficulty there in that if you begin with Swift UI and then you try to move to to pure Swift, there is a huge disconnect that happens there that is hard to explain uh, uh, to some people at least. So what I think. I think what you're saying is totally right. I, I think there is an, an, an issue here with teaching. Um, and, and I think that thought experiment of let's see how far we can go without touching closures is something that, that's worthy of exploring. I'm just saying that I don't think the, the uh, status quo of like, it just works with SwiftUI. It becomes a black magic to beginners very quickly. Very, th- very quickly. I think it's important to have as much black magic as possible, honestly. I don't think it's so. It's black magic I, I to think me, dude. I disagree. It's, like, Swift UI is not a Do you know what's example. going on? 
No, but like honestly speaking, do you know what's going on on the CPU for scheduling everything that's running on your computer? No, we have no Agreed. clue, right? No. It's all black magic. No, no, because because for for my use case of being a professional developer, and this is what people are trying to to build towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to know to go that deep into the stack. Whereas if you were trying to uh, to get a job, you would need to explain what a closure is and how those are built in SwiftUI. And the sooner you know, the better. Because it's, it's very difficult to understand, uh, at, at, even at, uh, at a little bit deeper than a surface level, how SwiftUI works. I'll give you a concrete example. Uh, debugging things in SwiftUI, and, and that one I have seen in one of my mentees, can be very difficult. Yeah, that's fair. It can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying UIKit is, is easier or the solution. Like, that is what about is 100%. All I'm saying is that this is really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Debugging it, in SwiftUI is really hard. Is it difficult because we can't use print and we can't, like, fall back on that? I think it's just difficult. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I think it's difficult because the syntax is very different than, than Swift. It is still Swift in a weird it, well it's yeah it's using sense. a dsl it's i mean it, literally a domain specific language it's not you know right. syntactically the same as the rest of the language so yeah like if, think... if you learn how to put together a ui in swift ui you did not learn swift you learned how right. to yeah. put together a ui in swift ui yep. same as like html like you can do that in html as much as you can do it in swift ui it's the same thing with the different different um uh, f- arrangement around every line of code, right? You're describing the blocks that put together a UI. I mean, Swift UI to UI kit is, you know, the same as like Angular versus Vue or something. Like, they're right. very much different, right? I mean, on a surface level. I Okay, real quick, I wanted to go back to like the teaching thing. I think going and going back specifically to like separating out the language from the frameworks, I think that would be a huge thing. I know we we talked about this at one point at Lambda where students could potentially have a week of Swift without any iOS. Like we're sitting in a playground. There's, you know, we're not importing UI kit. We're not importing foundation. We're just talking about the language itself. I think in that context, Maybe that would be easier if we, like you said, get into closures as soon as possible. But if it's in the context of we're going to run this sequentially and then we can talk about how the closure, you know, you write the closure up here, but it gets called down here. It could potentially make things easier. And again, you could extend that to any specific language feature that if we take it out of the context of this multi-threaded application that you have things showing up on the screen and there, you know, you've, you've got all of this stuff going on, but you boil it down to like, let's have this linear code run. Perhaps it could be easier and perhaps you're already doing that. So I don't know, but I think the concept the of closures, time. you know, you could show them, okay, we're going to write this closure this one way. And then we're going to write the same closure another way with the dollar sign. And then, you know, go from there. So that reminds me of something that I noticed with a lot of students. There was no concept, like, we we started very early, like, let's build an app, right? Yeah. But as a result of that, there was no concept to understanding what the computer was doing with the code. 
there was a loose understanding of oh the order matters but it doesn't like you can put methods yeah anywhere but then the lines of code like sometimes matter but like (laughs) students would not make the connection that every line of code was sequential and it would jump around and i think that has a huge amount of like problematic uh input into how understanding what the code is doing Mm -hmm. um it's kind of like learning uh to speak before you learn how to read right yeah like uh, so many students could type code but they wouldn't even understand what the code they wrote did if that makes even at a fundamental level right yeah i think and i get that they're like we're gonna build an app on day one but i think there are definitely some inherent problems with that and it's yeah. like Dimitri said, like, okay, let's build an app. Yeah, hard mode, engage. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And the parallel with that and something like JavaScript and the web is on the web, you'll write some HTML. There's no implicit order to that. You're describing what a uh, layout engine is going to do with stuff, right? That's what HTML is doing. Um, and then... You need some JavaScript, you just put a little script and you write some JavaScript and that's going to generate some HTML right there. So you're not really writing long form code. You're just like replacing pieces with dynamic elements little by little. And eventually you get to the point where you need a JavaScript file. And now that's a hurdle all of a sudden, because now you're no longer dealing with inline code. That's just adding some dynamism to what you're working with. You're working with like full-on programming where you have different methods and you have an execution order and things like that um but, but the that's not is a f- steady right i don't think it is really i, I don't yeah. know i, I haven't talked yeah about i i don't th- i don't think it is um and i think that when it comes to teaching it's not fun to just look at code from day one it's fun to look at apps and that is a mistake like kind of yeah. like what you said before where when you start uh like you may not need to know closures until you go for that job interview and they're going to ask you what closures are and then you're stuck, right? That is not the route that a lot of longtime developers came to development. They did not learn over a few month period about a programming language from nothing just to suddenly go pass a gauntlet of interviews, right? That's not how I gained my experience. I don't know about Spencer. You're unique because you learned it via teaching. Right. Um, but uh, Fernando, I would assume you're very similar. Like you learned how to code and then you were a master at it. And like getting a job at that point was just easy. Yep. Right. So I wonder if that concept of like, oh, you'll learn how to code and then you'll get a job doing that is the problematic aspect. Right. Because we're trying to force a bunch of concepts that you can't learn, like, instantly, unless you know a bunch of domain knowledge, which you can't. Like, you were never taught throughout, like, all of your schooling how any of this works. Like, you have domain knowledge in math and in history. Like, you were taught over a long period of time how all those things worked and were put together. But programming, oftentimes, it's, like, not a thing in schools, nowadays thankfully it is maybe the next generation is going to have it a lot easier because they're going to know from a fundamental level hey when you look at code it's going to go line by line one at a time and start doing things right like how many people that we've taught did not know that fact 
compared to how many students that are learning Scratch in high school are learning that fact from day one, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yes, it's the boring way to learn programming. Like, you're not making an app, and you can make an app from day one. Like, it's easy to put together a UI and have something that approximates an app very quickly. But as you start to get to those that second half of development where you need to, like, make it into a product or uh, actually make it do things in a correct way and not be full of bugs and this, that, and other things, like, that is hard, and it's not easy, and we are expecting people to learn it so quickly when it's not possible to learn it so quickly. Like you need to you need to stumble along uh, while you're learning that. And the way that so many of us stumbled along was putting together something for ourselves and being okay with it being not complete because it couldn't be complete, right? Uh, so therefore, we learned slowly how to work around those things. And the stakes were were not as high. Like, if you build something and you didn't want to keep building it because it was hard and you didn't want to learn, you just stopped and then you put it away and then you came back to it later. And if you have, like, a deadline, nine months, I need to be at work, blah, 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 you don't have that option of, like, learning organically. It has to be, like... That's a lot of pressure. Cram, 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 more concepts, more concepts, yeah. more difficult. Yeah, you're totally right. I like this. This, this is interesting. It's given me a lot of uh, things to think about. I mean, I, I also remember uh, seeing something uh, recently on Twitter, um, and it went along the lines of if you have like a class of um, a class of students, right, and you're all learning pottery, uh, you can divide the class mm -hmm. in two, mm -hmm. and half mm -hmm. of the class, you can tell them you have one month to craft the perfect plate. And the other half, you say you have one month, every day of that month, you're to craft a plate and throw it out. And then at the end, who's going to have better results? Is it going to be part of group A who spent one month working on one thing? Or is it going to be part of group B who spent one month working on 30 things? And at the end, was so much better at making that thing because they've just been doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, that they've developed experience doing it. They've learned tricks how to work around gaps in their own knowledge. Like, you don't need to know what a closure is. You just need to know how to use it. You just need to walk the talk, right? Uh, or is it talk the walk? I don't know. Talk the talk. Um, you'll just... Unwalk the walk. Walk the walk. Sorry. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> we, none of us know what we're talking about. Ignore everything. It's like two plus two equals what? var. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's what we're good at um but yeah like I, I i really think that so much of the black magic doesn't need to be understood you just need to be able to know when to use it and eventually you'll understand it eventually like you'll gain that domain knowledge that explains everything you'll understand like oh there's actually little electrons going through and that's that works it's not something that's just magic anymore but you don't need any of that to like get the job done and you can go tremendously far like not faking it till you make it because you're not really faking it you are understanding just not at a level that you understand just like speaking english no one knows except a second language student who studied english as like an adult how hard this language is Yet, so many people can speak it naturally, make tons of mistakes along the way and not even realize, um, and just continue, right? 
Like we've done it countless times in this one in this past hour, I'm sure. Yeah. Um <laughs> and it's not something that people understand. No one understands how English works. Like you try to come up with rules like I before E except after C, except in all these words that we're not gonna talk about because none of that has anything to do with the rule, because the rule is made up just as like a quick shorthand Everything by in life. By teachers one of those days. Like so, so yeah, going back to, to programming, I really don't think we need to know exactly what things do and how they work. I really think that it just comes down to getting an intuitive knowledge about like what something is going to do. That is going to be more useful. And I also think... The vast majority of times. And I think to piggyback off that, I think it depends on its context, right? Like... Uh, does a junior need to know exactly how closures work? Probably not. Does a senior? Probably, right? And so I think it's a lot more... Um, there's a lot more... Um, nuance. Exactly. Okay, side note, I think you speak English better than I do, and I'm not joking about that. I have very many <laughs> times thought that, and I've told that to my parents. So... Uh, Thank you, Censor. I appreciate that. Honestly, it's it's very true. There's a lot more nuance to it, and Fernando's exactly right. So, definitely depends where you at. Can you say that again? Fernando's right. (laughs) You're the best, Spencer. Dude, man, you're the best. (laughs) Cool. I think I think we all agree. It's uh, uh, we all agree that we should scrap Swift and. uh, Move to Ruby. Mm, Isn't that what? Is we, that what we got out of this? I don't think so. I think so. No. Fernando was right. Move over to Ruby. I would rather die. <laughs> I would rather die. I think that we got the uh, the episode's name. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you like or put them in a smart stack. Sticky widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you like. Sticky widgets is a free download on the App Store, and additional font and color options are available as a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. And as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released, and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, on Twitter, Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior, that's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. So no Ruby. <laughs> you are muted, actually, After this... Uh, Fight after me. This, uh, 
After this podcast, I'm gonna start with my rails curse in earnest. Like seriously. Did you, did you already start learning Ruby? Yeah, I finished the uh, basic. Like there's uh, there's a place called Pragmatic Studio that um, has a bundle, which is Ruby Rails and Ruby Blocks. So closures, yay! I'm gonna have fun. Um, I finished the basic Ruby. I it feels very web which is really funny. Like, it's the web. I can sense it immediately. Um, and I'm going to start with Rails today, see how much it can get going. Because, oh, I'm, I'm on vacation all this week. Mm. So I'm going to see how far I can go. And that way... Like, one thing I really like and wouldn't be possible in Swift, um, but in Ruby, if you have a Boolean, you have to finish the variable name when you're consuming it with a question mark. That would make it an optional. Exactly. Yeah. I know. We can't. <laughs> but I really, really like that because it's immediately visible that, it's a that you're asking a question, right? Yeah, but you could just name it something like a question like should whatever or is whatever. Spencer. Dude, I'm 1,000% I'm on the Swift bandwagon. You will never kick me off. <laughs> I'm not trying. I'm not... I've invested too much into learning. It's interesting. My entire career hinges on this, dude. Okay. <laughs> Come on, man. This is how I make a living. I, I, I'm not the guy to push you off the wagon. I've, I've like 13 years. Uh, I know. Hanging on by a Swift thread. Well, probably five or six with Objective-C and then the rest are from Swift. So I am... Totally fine all with right, that. All right. I, for the longest time, I've defended um, being a specialist instead of a polyglot. But now that I'm a polyglot, I can make one of specialists. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm yeah, not. Right, right. when, once I am, it'll be it'll be easy. Uh huh. All right. Be that way. <laughs> Are you counting like real languages in that, or? Of course. Oh, okay. I can code in Spanish. What's? <laughs> I mean, in theory, I could code in Spanish. What do you have to be? How many languages is it? Six for a polyglot. Five? Four, right? Well, polyglot is just many. Yeah, I think there's so like a specific many. amount, though. I, I'm I'm reminded of a of a joke from a movie or something. If you speak three languages, you are a polyglot. Trilingual. If you speak yeah, okay. two languages, you are bilingual. Bilingual. And if you speak one language, you are you American. There you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice American. That's pretty fair, dude. And I didn't need to say it. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, I like that. That's good. So Google says polyglot is like several. Yeah, in Wikipedia it says six or more. What? No, Wikipedia is obviously. I am part Greek, and source. poly is a Greek Aha, term, plus. and therefore <laughs> it just means more than one. So right. you're good. Exactly. Then I'm <laughs> I, then I'm a polyglot. Too. You're both right. Right. Multilingualism. Yes. That one's more than six. <laughs> All right. All right. We're splitting hairs now. Yeah, learning languages is fun in real life. Yeah. It's more than fun. programming. I, I used to I used to like want to learn a whole bunch of programming languages. And then it just got tedious, like to be honest. Um and I more and more found like success in one and not in the others and therefore i just stopped learning or doing anything in the others um i mean the whole reason why i liked native development more than web development 
was because it was such a headache to deal with like multiple browsers and having everything work. Like if you're working with one browser, great. No wonder so many people just want to force Chrome yeah. uh, because if they can make it work on Chrome, then they're good. Um, but then it doesn't necessarily work on Firefox and it doesn't necessarily work on Safari. Um, like we can't even use the website that we're using to record this on Safari. Yeah. It just does not work. <laughs> no. uh, so I have Brave installed as my Chromium thing um, because oh, that's Chrome, yeah. Chrome is just creepy. Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah, like it's it's diff- it's definitely a set of trade-offs you just have to pick for yourself the more you learn about any one of them the more you'll learn that it's fraught full of landmines here every which way that you look there'll be dragons I everywhere. Mean, yeah um In and which, which which scenery do you like more is at the end of the day the, yeah. the answer that you can answer for yourself um i like my scenery because it pays very well um but other sceneries are just as good, even if they pay more or less. It's just what, in the end, makes you not hate your job. Yeah. I mean... Agreed. <clears throat> at the end of the day, that's that's what's going to get you the farthest. Yeah. If you can continue doing it. Yeah, we all like Apple stuff. And Look, man, if I were to become a web developer, I would only optimize for Safari just to spite everyone. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Which would suck because now they don't even have Safari for Windows or anything anymore. It would like ecosystem lock everyone. (laughs) That was that was such a shame because one the text rendering looks nice on Windows for the first freaking time. Um, Like that was back in the Windows XP days, right? Yeah, where like they still use clear text, clear type, whatever they Mm -hmm. called it. Where they like was it that? It was a long time ago. Yeah. I don't know. They used whichever thing that it like moved the pixels over, mm-hmm. and it like made all text look hideous. Um, yeah, that one. Apparently, you can still do it. Install Safari. Oh, really? On Windows ten and eleven. Oh, is it just? Oh, I thought it was unsupported. I. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's unsupported. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Wait, like, I, how can you, you do it? It's not like they distribute it anymore. <laughs> It's unsupported. It's been unsupported for ten years. <laughs> the last version was in twenty twelve, dude. But I just found the guide, which is like, this is how you can install Safari on Windows. I'm gonna 10. try it tonight. Uh, twenty one March, twenty twenty two. So. You mean March twenty second, twenty twenty two? Whatever. Just kidding. <laughs> I had a friend. Speaking of like polyglots, I have a friend who did. And Advent of Code? Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I don't know exactly what it is. Um, it's like it's every, day of the, every day of the month you get something new to kind of challenge yourself with. Like an Advent kind calendar. Like an Advent oh, calendar. Code. oh, well, she did it on a different language every day. Oh. Come on, I'm not even like religious and I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't speak English well. Sorry. <laughs> then I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like um, throwing us in the dirt here. No, Advent. I don't know what Advent is. Like, I don't either. I, all I know is it's a thing you can poke chocolates out. Yeah, there you go. We'll um, go back to closures. <laughs> I feel but safe yeah, with she, closures. <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember she told me, turn off stupid webcam. <laughs> this is annoying. 
I need to get one of those 4K with autofocus. Uh, but a friend, like, she did the 25 Advent days on, like, 25 languages, and that's, like, Ooh. way too intense. And when she did Objective-C, I was like, yay, how did you like it? I hate yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> too many square brackets. You can't learn something in, like, one... You can't no. learn to appreciate something in one day. I don't think. No, no, no I should not. But still, Objective-C is different. Yeah. It, it's it's uh, like an acquired it, taste. Yeah, it, it's like it's like food. You you need to give it three tries because the first time you try something that's very heavily flavored, you're probably not going to like it. The second time, your tongue remembers that there's something special about it, but your brain is still like, "This is too weird for me," and you're not going <laughs> to like it. The third time, though, now your brain started to remember what your tongue was telling it, and it's like, mm, "You were right. I'm down for this really wacky thing." <laughs> That is like so strong and so impossible to, to like stomach, um, yeah. That, like honestly, I think all all acquired tastes they're just like stuff that is so f- packed full of flavor that it's like too much. Like your your poor naive tongue cannot like handle it all at once, and so f- so it rejects it. Like just out mm. of out of it's like too much for me. Yeah. Um, and that's subject to see. It's just too much for people, and they just can't take the square brackets. But you just give it a try, and the, so the square brackets they they uh, they grow. And you. when you get like four sets of square brackets, you're like, oh my gosh, man! Like as a student, I was like, I hate this. I mean, it wasn't until honestly, I was teaching at Lambda, and I had gone through an entire other teaching job for two years that I started to like Objective C. So. <laughs> I mean that's just me, but it was took so, me a while. So when speaking of like strange foods and trying them, when's the uh, code completion meetup? Whenever, man. In seven years, when COVID ends. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah, we really should do it though. It'd be sweet. And uh, Demi, if you if you end, if we end up doing it in LA, you have to take us to that sushi place. And Spencer just nodded along when you said you have to try it three times. So I'll I've try whatever you... No, no, not sushi. Dimitri's sushi. Oh, I want to try Dimitri's expensive stuff. sushi. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Good sushi. Like, I, mean, I, I know it's good sushi, right? I mean, better than, like, flown-in fish from into the middle of the United States. So, I'm down. To, the dirty secret is this is also flown-in fish. No! It's it's not like they fish it in L.A. Well, okay, fair. <laughs> it comes from Japan. All right, all right. It comes from all over the world. Um, so, so like, the, the ultimate irony is you can have good sushi anywhere. You just anywhere. need to know the people that are willing to ship it to you on one plane ride mm. uh, and not over multiple hops. Who knows where? Yeah. I remember seeing a documentary about a New York sushi chef that was hardcore, and he flew in tuna, like, from Tokyo every day. Yeah, That's I super really, really cool. like. I, I really want to try good sushi. I've had decent, decently good sushi um, at Austin, but and I've had decent sushi at Japan, but I didn't have the um, the skills to get to like really good sushi on either place. So yeah, we could. Let's do it. I'd love to get some sweet sushi. It won't be sweet though savor some killer sushi but um <laughs> on that high note <laughs> yeah i like that 
All right. See ya. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Take care.